I had this guy come in and he goes, you watch the debates? And I said, no, but I saw some highlights. I said, that the guy for Indian immigrants sure made a lot of sense to me. He said, me too, till I heard he was anti-Israel. Do you know what anti-Israel? He said, we need to stop shipping them blank checks. Uh, he must not have paid any attention to the debate because the way I understood the sound bites I saw from the debate between him and what's her name, uh, they couldn't decide who should spend more money to uh, send more money to Israel. So I don't know what he's talking about. But, you know, there's the problem. <clears throat> uh oh, what happened to you? <laughs> Uh, Russell was on and I lost him. I think the call went dead because my screen kind of went to fade. <clears throat> so I think we lost internet. Maybe it does. Maybe it does that. Okay. All right, got a little bit of a technical issue here. <clears throat> I can't shut down the audio. So if those of you that are listening. Um, on the archives i'm going to just go ahead and give this for you simply fast forward until you uh get reconnected with audio and uh i think i got you back there russell go ahead yeah i was i bought some wire so i could get this on speakers in the room sure i don't know how it, i don't know what it's done with the phone but Anyway, you've talked to people, you've heard, you've heard it all. I mean, it's on all these Christian stations about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. I mean, it's just, I mean, seriously, what could they do where we'd get mad at them? Nothing. There's nothing they can't do to make us mad at them. Have you noticed? Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a thing. 
There's more homosexuals in Tel Aviv than any other city in the world, what I've read and heard about. Uh, but that's holy city, isn't it? I mean, that's just right up there with Jerusalem. So, yeah. It's uh, it just it just continues. You know, you raised an interesting question earlier, though, with regards to uh, the seminaries, and that was a little fun fact that uh, I was not privy to until some years ago when I decided to you know tweak the the keyboard a little bit and see what I could learn. But uh, yeah, um, when I had done a uh, July. Uh, fourth message at the uh, SFA some years ago, I had brought out how the first 10 colleges, I believe it was, in the colonies were all Christian um, started colonies. You know, they were they were yeah. started by different different sects of the of the Christian faith that had already developed at that time. But notwithstanding that they they were, you know, indeed um, schools that, you know, were there first and foremost to um, to teach um, the biblical aspects and teach the youth. Uh, And then it was a hundred years after that, basically. So they started infiltrating the schools right off the bat to to you know uh, promote the the uh, ability for their people to get into the to the schools and um, start that process of polluting there and then it wasn't until 1888 i believe it was i sent you that link that i had uh, at one time um, i pulled it up from my archives and and uh, sent that link to you but the uh, here's a quick history here of uh, seminaries and so forth. Uh, 1888, it was the Church of General Board of Education that was established. And this Carl Mazer, I haven't uh, looked into who that is, uh, M-A-E-S-E-R. That, that seems to be a, a spelling of a name that is somewhat uh, curious. Um and then 1890 religious classes began these classes designed to supplement the secular learning by adding a class in religion at the close of the regular school day um you know which it was already you know in the school curriculum for 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 decades 1893 religion classes were established in every ward of the church which continues until 1929 that one says 1901 joseph tanner appointed as a superintendent of church schools 1905 annual conventions for teachers and administrators of church schools are held at salt lake city in connection with the desert school teachers association meetings uh, 1906, Horace Cummins is appointed commissioner of church schools. 1911, University of Utah professor Joseph F. Merrill caps- conceptualizes seminary. During a family home evening, a second counselor in the Granite State uh, presidency, he proposes that a seminary program be established near Granite High School in Salt Lake City, Utah, in the United States. His plan is approved by the stake presidency and the 
Church of General Board of Education, and it and it and it goes on. But as you can tell, that you know, from 1888 until about 19, you know, 25 to 29, um, that's when you really see it start to you know uh, kick off. And you know, they'll 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 keep they'll keep the goy in there for uh, for quite some time. Uh, and of course, they're just uh, teaching them um through the eyes of judaism um well, well as they're they're he goes he goes you're a gentile and he goes if you don't know what that means it's all in the bible and you better go home and look it up you know this is a guy that yeah, was so did about you... how horrible how horrible our our, e- our economics our political all these things and somebody mm-hmm. stood up and said, we need to quit sending them money. And so instantly he's cast to the bottom of the pit. And he's teaching me about uh, Gentilism. And well, send him, our, send him the I series said, that we've done, Israel, Judah, and Jew, seven-part series in the archives. He's not ready for and, that. Uh, I told him I well, said, he, you should bring that up. I I have looked up Gentile. And I said, yeah. contrary to public opinion, it, it means nation, plural. He just gave me this weird stare. He said, Yeah, non Jewish nations. <laughs> and and then I I said, Well, do you want to talk about the dysphoria? And you know, I don't, I don't know, because at some point these people are going to start thinking you're the weirdo. But here's the thing: none of their stuff produces any fruit, does it? And quite the opposite. Quite mm-hmm. the opposite. And so that's what I was telling you. The end. The end game is destruction and death to this system of this this Babylonian system, as somebody pointed out to you. And by the way, the system was bad long before Babylon. Um, I think it may have started in the garden. I don't know that. It may have started with China. I don't know. But we have a biblical record, don't we? Yep, yep. And so... That's things, uh, uh, Israel, Judah, back. and Jew series, right? Israel, Judah, and Jew series is one thirty-five in the archives. You know, and and that's again what we were doing is we were trying to you know establish uh, you know uh, opportunity of additional tools for individuals through this fellowship. And uh, including those of us who wanted to fellowship and continue in fellowship together. But um, we've maintained an archive as well so that uh, it's available to others. So, um, you know, you you think he's not ready for it, um, but it may very well be it may very well be time because. If he's going to lay out a challenge to you to go to your Bible and look up 
you know, Gentiles, um, uh, you can ask him, you know, to to review it. That that junior high baptism class one hundred and one. Uh, yeah. You know what? How, how do you change? How do you want the truth unless you hunger for the truth? In other words. Yeah, I understand. I heard Martin Luther King say, "I don't." at his speech, uh, just a little blurb, I don't, all I want is these men to live by the paper they serve. And he was dead on, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. The paper they serve. He was talking about their constitution. He figured it out. And maybe the all the markets mm-hmm. have it figured out too. Uh, it's fruitless. At best, look what we've created here. It's um, malleable. It's, what's the word they love to use? Uh, It's It's a living, breathing document. Yeah. Yeah, they have a word, fluid. It's very fluid, isn't it? I mean, try to living, pay. breathing document. Yes. Uh huh. Dedicated to what God? We the people, God. You the people. And we've done so well historically, haven't we? We the people. While mm-hmm. we've created, uh, hmm. Hmm. Because this place we call Americans now is, is, I mean, go to Walmart, look around. This is not America anymore. It's something else. So anyway, I was just, I was just sending you some thoughts that I guess I heard. Somebody sent me a thing about these. These kooks blocking a highway in Utah. Unbelievable. These zombies. This girl chained herself to a trailer. And I noticed that when the cops intervened, who is training these cops? They think it's a big deal to throw a woman down and cuff them face down on the hot highway. You know what? That's not what's cool about that. You know? Yeah, that's the thing that always amazes, you know, they can, well, it's the environment, it's the environmentalist. So it's okay to do to the environmentalist, whatever the, whatever this um, administrative state, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat in charge, uh, whatever the administrative state wants to do. and that's well, what's so hypocritical. Let's go back to George Floyd. There's no way in hell some guy needs to be sitting on a guy's neck that's cuffed and face down for 15 minutes or whatever it was. The guy is subdued. And that's training. Somebody trained him to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Now, if if they're crackheads and tweakers and all that, what are the what are we buying all these tasers for? Are they just toys for the cops? Are they not effective? But you notice they're they'll pull out their gun and blow somebody away for a traffic stop violation. Uh, it would be very difficult to be a policeman these days. I assure you that. But uh, I want you to think about this this environmental group that was out there telling people we need to do away with oil. I had a T-shirt on that said, leave it in the ground, what have you. Do you think for one minute those people walked out to that lonesome, lost location out in Utah to do their protest? <laughs> you're not supposed to think like that they they don't want you to think that you know if we left the oil in the ground and they wouldn't have had transportation out there I, maybe they went there in electric vehicles but they had to charge the vehicle right and so what's making the electricity i mean it's the same old same old same old same old it's it's people who don't have um a core and they follow every wind of doctrine, whether it's environmentalism or whatever the flavor of the day is. And it's, uh, you know, it's very problematic when a people does not have critical thinking ability and they've not been taught to have critical thinking. So it definitely becomes pretty problematic. And they, this road went to this thing called the Burning Man ceremony, and they they alluded to themselves as burners, and um, it definitely had a religious uh, tone to it. But uh, anyway, it's. Uh, I guess the weather in Wisconsin is nice this time of year. Mm, yeah, it's actually uh, been real good. It surely is. And, well, you know, 70s it's, during the day and <clears throat> high 50s at night. That's uh, That's pretty sweet. Well, um, let's so you want to you want to live you want to live here during the summer months and go back to Texas in the winter. Well, I've heard of people that do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have a name for them up there, but they got one for them up north. They come down here. They call them snowbirds, I think. Mm-hmm. But yep, we do get the what, snow. What, whatever. How's uh? What's the report on Rich? Uh, uh, I haven't spoke with him. Um, so just keeping everything in prayer, and was going to try to get a call into him this week and and uh, see if we can understand how anything is improving for him. But just keep everything in prayer. My friend, so, here, 
that we've prayed for, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, his wife. His wife sent us a message uh, about three or four days ago that that they're attaching a fentanyl patch to him and telling him goodbye. Hmm. And so it's already been by, a few days, and you don't. Yeah. I went. I went by there two days ago, and it was like he was in La La Land. He knew Cindy and I were there by his side. We told him we loved him. We prayed for him. Prayed God would intervene, and and then we left. And I suppose that'll be the last time I see him, unless alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a guy that's just just like you and I, and then overnight, uh, they slowly. Been about a year since the symptoms surfaced, and and he would tell me over and over. The doctors would tell him we've never seen anything like this before. And yeah, he took the he took one jab. I know for sure. It's a really really sad thing, uh, but we do. You know, everybody's got the truth, right? But there's the truth. Mm. There is a truth that you you have a day with destiny. You know, I was thinking about all those guys that died on the battlefield. Somebody got to say their last words to them, probably. Some of them. They lie there bleeding in their hands, you know. Yep. That's that's what it felt like to me. And I don't know who came up with fentanyl to you. I never heard of the of the uh company that makes that. But it's just another form of morphine, I suspect. Some derivative. The the people that invented OxyContin sold it to the doctors as a cure for pain. There will be no more pain with this drug. Pain is a thing of the past. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's take a. Uh, uh, Thank you, guest. I see that. Appreciate that. Um, one of the guests says, greetings, kinsfolk brethren. I've been enjoying many of the Isaiah study programs. I heard about your study via Melissa. She posted some of those audios on BitChute. If you're here live, greetings. Um, he says to Melissa and, uh, so welcome. Yes. Uh, we, uh, likewise, uh, trying to do our part and thank you for the words. 
And I'll send that. And let's go ahead now. Uh, this is part 21 in the series. We left off in part 20, obviously, at chapter 33, verses uh, 1 to 8. And I wanted to look at verse 8 in just a bit more detail there in uh, chapter 33. And uh touch on something else the highways lie waste the the wayfaring man ceases uh, he has broken the covenant he has despised the cities he regards no man this is referring to the assyrian king shenacherib see he had made an agreement with ahaz and then likewise when he was going through the cities of judah and spoiling them this is why this the prophet laments and says the highways lie wasted because of his military activities there throughout the land of judah and the treaty or the covenant also here the king james has it um uh um has covenant and i think it was one of the other ones had a treaty um uh, let's see what did my moffat have um uh, yeah treaties are in the moffat so different renderings but <clears throat> uh that is the essence the treaty or the covenant that is being spoken of here is with that uh, agreement basically that hezekiah had in second kings 18 when he sent to shenacherib an offer of peace and to tell him to go ahead and lay on him whatever he he willed and shenacherib surely did 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold and this was um prompting um hezekiah to even cut the gold from the doors and the pillars to satisfy the 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 massive tribute and this would be a classic example of hezekiah in essence trying appeasement uh, he said essentially retreat from me and the judahites in jerusalem just tell me what it's going to take what's it going to cost and it would appear that since hezekiah considered this appeasement would help him um he went ahead with continuing you know or at least maybe i should say that he perhaps thought this appeasement would help him to continue in his reforms and perhaps strengthen his his position at the time um but the assyrian king he takes what hezekiah willingly gives and then just turns right around and proceeded to taunt him which we've already read in some of the past um parts of this series he taunts Judah to surrender basically to him, you know, that we went through in Second Kings 18 and, and so forth. And <clears throat> now from, from this point here, these two chapters, 34 through uh, 33 through 34, um, they comprise basically um, a totality of one major prophecy essentially here. And the king of Assyria implies that their God is impotent, as we mentioned in Second Kings 18. And, and Hezekiah's prayer in Second Kings 18 is maybe what we should do is go back there because Hezekiah viewed that, that action of the Assyrian king 
as uh, taunting and saying that their God did not exist as an affront against Yahweh himself. And sometimes they think we would do well as Christians to uh, to take that same level of of intention with um, what the wicked are doing against God's people in America and Europe, these Western nations and so forth. Second Kings 18, let's turn to. um Mm, let's see. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. Twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Uh, Repshecha stood and cried with a loud voice in the in the Jews' language, meaning the Judean language, and spake, saying, "Hear the word of the great king of the king of Assyria. Thus says the king: Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in Yahweh, saying, Yahweh will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me by a present and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of uh, corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive and honey, that you may live and not die, and hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuades you, saying, Yahweh will deliver you. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and the Arpad and the gods of Sephaviam and Hena and Iva? Where are, have, uh, have they uh, delivered Samaria out of my hands? Who are they among the gods of the countries that have delivered the country out of my hand? that Yahweh should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word because that was the king's instruction. So the king of Assyria implies that their God is impotent against him. And this is about as blasphemous as a man, uh, you know, mere mortal can be in his carnal nature. And that's, as I say, exactly how Hezekiah saw it and understood it. And it's 2 Kings chapter 19, we'll pick it up at verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it and had, uh, read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of Yahweh, spread it before Yahweh. And Hezekiah prayed before Yahweh and said, O Yahweh, God of Israel, which dwells between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Yahweh, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Yahweh, thine eyes and see the words of Sennacherib, which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Yahweh, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art Yahweh God, even thou only. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, that which thou hast prayed to me against Shennacherim, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that Yahweh has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised thee 
and laugh thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against who hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel, by thy messengers thou hast reproached Yahweh and hast said with the multitude of my chariots, I'm come up to the height of the mountains. To the sides of Lebanon will cut down the tall cedar trees thereof and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the lodgings of his borders and into the forest of his Carmel. Uh, 20, yeah, we'll stop there. Now, Hezekiah clearly recognized that all this mayhem and destruction of Sennacherib was him saying that the God of Jacob Israel was futile, was no God at all. He just like these others that he'd ransacked. And the interesting thing about Hezekiah's prayer was not that God would save Hezekiah and Jerusalem for their sake, but so that they, or that all the kingdoms of the whole earth would again know that the God of Jacob Israel is, and even him only. And when we look at our condition today, Yahweh is blasphemed all day long, no matter what appeasance or tribute that we render to the wicked. They're not satisfied and they seek more. And this is what we are experiencing. We are experiencing them going after more and more and more. And their intention is total surrender to their will, denying our own surrender to Yahweh and his will. They're not about justice at all and the environment or any of the do-gooder agendas that they profess. Only that you understand that your God is no God at all. But we have the record and the record shows that God hears Hezekiah's prayer. And so here in Isaiah chapter 33, we'll pick it back up now at verses 9 through 12 and begin with this more in part 21. Here we are, 9. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Now will I rise, says Yahweh. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. You shall conceive shaft. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up, they shall be burned in the fire. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime. Oh, I just did that one. So we'll end at 12. Here Yahweh says, now, now, he's already 
done what he's going to do, said what he's going to say, appealed to who he's going to appeal. And now he says, will I arise? And now will I be exalted? Now will I lift myself up? Literally, meaning, you know, figuratively and literally, meaning he intends to lift himself up. Back to 2 Kings chapter 19 quickly. Should have left that there, but I didn't. Sorry about the delay. 2 Kings chapter 19, I want to bring uh, to us 25. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou should be total, it should be to lay waste, fence cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power, they were dismayed and confounded, they were as the grass of the field and as the green herb, as the grass of the household, house tops and and corn blasted before it be grown up. But I know thy abode and thy glorying out and thy going out and thy coming in and thy rage against me because thy rage against me and thy tumult has come up to my ears. Therefore will I put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips and I will turn thee back the way by which thou came. And then he toggled back to Isaiah and um, 13, hear you that are far off what I have done, and you that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? One more, he that walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppressions, that shakes his hands from holding of bribes, that stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 29. This shall be a sign unto thee. You shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves, and in the second year that which springs of the same, and in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruits thereof. The remnant that is escaped to the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts, shall do this. <clears throat> and then therefore it came to pass drop down to verse 35 it came to pass that night the angel of Yahweh went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 when they arose early in the morning behold they were all dead corpses so Shennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And then verse uh, 37 accounts the death of Shennacherib by his own two sons. So we're supposed to be just like Yahweh our God. Um, 
every day that the people of God arise, the enemies are scattered. And our people do not arise in righteous indignation of the blasphemy of our God, this God of Jacob Israel. So if we had this wisdom and this knowledge that these scriptures convey, it would lead us to the strength of his salvation, which is abiding in his will. And where there's piety, not plunder. Think about it. When did Yahweh rise? He rose when the distress of what we are brought into by the wicked is not only recognized, but our reliance on all others for salvation has failed. I want to read to you from the Moffat chapter 33, verses 14 to 19. In Zion, sinful men are terrified. The impious are seized with shuddering, crying, Oh, who can live with such a devouring fire? Who can live on with such a lasting flame? He who scorns to profit by oppression, he who will not clutch at any bribe, he who listens to no plans of murder, he who will not look at senseless crime, he who lives uprightly, just in word and deed, he shall dwell far out of reach of harm, as in a stronghold on the cliff, secure, his bread provided, and his water sure. And I, let me continue, 17. Your eyes shall see the king in all his splendor and gaze upon his broad domain till musing in the terror that has vanquished you ask, where are the tyrant's officers who taxed us, charged us, took our tribute? These insolent creatures you shall see no more. End of verse 19. In just a few short verses, Isaiah's thoughts traverse that specter of injustices. It's not unlike those present today. It's actually like a declaration of causes. And we did a declaration of causes. And it's available in the archives. And we've sent it out to key players in the those amongst our Israelite brethren understanding their identity. But at verse 14, once the declaration of causes was recited by Isaiah, he asks of his people, who among us can dwell with the devouring fire and these everlasting burnings? And that's what we're asking people today amongst us. We need to take a look at this devouring fire part of it first. And the question is, who can dwell with the devouring fire? Turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 4.
And let's take a look at verse 24. For Yahweh thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Drop down to chapter 9, might have to flip a page or more. And verse 3. Understand therefore this day that Yahweh thy God is he which goes over before thee as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly as Yahweh has said unto thee. Now back to Isaiah and chapter 31. We just reviewed this last week, I believe it was, verse 9. And he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his prince shall be afraid of the ensign, says Yahweh, whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. You remember verse 10 here of 33 was Isaiah conveying. Yahweh was now to rise. This devouring fire, according to the scriptures that we've just read, is Yahweh himself, the God of Jacob Israel. And you can believe his fire is like hell. That is death, the grave. And even the church world and their perception of it is certainly accurate. But think about just our own modern situation. You could listen to the Hawaiians today to understand the consumption of raging fire. And now recognize that that raging fire in this fire being spoken of is the fire of Yahweh, is he himself. And scripture tells us in this fire, the sinners are afraid. But verse 15 of chapter 33, he that walks righteously, he that speaks uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppressions, that shakes his hands from holding of bribes, that stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Now, that's not saying that he shuts his eyes so he doesn't see evil. That, that's a phrase that needs to be understood. Obviously, shaking of the hands is, is I don't want any bride. You, know, you shake your hands before somebody goes to hand. No, I don't want that. We even do that sometimes when somebody's going to gift to us because we're trying to provide them a blessing by giving to them. And so we, 
we quickly shake our hands away and say, no, I, I don't want that. <clears throat> Saying, I, you know, I won't hold a bribe is, is what that phrase is speaking of there. And the aspect of <clears throat> ears from hearing of blood, that's an individual who rejects plans of, of murder. It, it's the phraseology being used, which to us should speak that way. And he who rejects or shuts his eyes from evil is the one who wants to reject it. He shudders uh, at it and shuts his eyes so as to not see, but also to reject it. And he despises such evils. And this is the man, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> who's going to see, verse 17, Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Now, this is the first time there's this reference to a land that is very far off. And there's nothing that anybody has that answers to that question of what is this land that is very far off that is being spoken of. And the scripture doesn't say. But this man, it says in 17, is going to see the king in his beauty. So I spent quite a bit of time on this myself because I was beginning to contemplate, are we talking about the distant land, the lands that people had not yet migrated to? Um, or is it something else? Or am I missing something? <clears throat> and the only thing I could do was come back to 17. The eyes, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. This is obviously a reference to Christ, but I think it also dually applies to Hezekiah because it's saying to the wicked, essentially, if you get the context of, of, of 14 and then 15 being the one speaking of the righteous, it's saying that the wicked is his eyes are going to see the king in his beauty. And so I do believe it is scriptural that this applies to Hezekiah. And that this is Shennacherib going to see how glorious Hezekiah is going to be in his eyes because of this work that Yahweh intends to do in saving Jerusalem and Hezekiah pursuant to his prayer. And as you recall, Hezekiah was given 10 more years. He, he was basically told right after this that he was going to die. Isaiah came to him and said, get your affairs in order. You're going to die. And Isaiah left. No more got to the middle chamber. Uh, and the prayer of Hezekiah turning his face to the wall and humbling himself and seeking more time. He, Hezekiah was only, I think, 14 years into his 29-year reign or a little bit longer. And as he prayed that prayer there that he was going to die, he, you know, he did get ill. And Isaiah told him that he was going to, you know, he was, he was going to die. 
that's when he prayed and God gave him, I believe it was 15 more years. So I think that would have been 14 and 15 was the total of his 29 years. And, um, uh, there, there was a King then who understood that God can save and will save. And, you know, Russell and I have talked about this in, in conversations together and stuff. Where is our, our leadership today who even desires to call upon this God of Jacob Israel and enlist his benevolence and his hand of protection? And we just don't see it. And we just don't hear of it. It's as if the leaders today are afraid to bring up the name and to call upon the name. And so that king in his beauty, I believe, um, is definitely referencing Hezekiah. And verse 19 Thou shalt not see a fierce people, a people of deeper speech than thou canst perceive, of a stammering tongue that thou cannot understand. Hezekiah did not see them in Jerusalem. They were turned away. They were turned away. 185,000 soldiers dead in the field. And so, <clears throat> direct, as I say, oh, direct reference to Deuteronomy 28. Flip over there with us again to, <clears throat> excuse me. Deuteronomy 28, 49 and 50, just to reacclimate ourselves, Yahweh shall bring a nation against thee. Well, let me start with uh, 47. Because thou served not Yahweh thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thy enemies, which the Lord uh, shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall Put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he has destroyed thee. Yahweh shall bring a nation against thee from far, the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. That is spot on telling you, I already told you this is what's going to happen. And now he makes a direct reference to the fierce people, and yet he stays his hand upon the king of Sennacherib in order to bring salvation because of a righteous man, a righteous king, who recognized that this was a blasphemy, that this, this Assyrian king was now blaspheming Yahweh. And that's what he did. He did exactly as he foretold in Deuteronomy. And it really sounds a lot like what's happening throughout the Western nations today, if you think about it. Another cross-reference passage there would be Jeremiah chapter 5. But verse 18 in Isaiah 33 is just very reminiscent of Paul's admonition to the Corinthians. Turn over for those New Testament Christians amongst us who are trying to get up to speed with uh, becoming whole Testament Christians, first Corinthians chapter one and 17 to 25. 
For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom for the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not Yahweh made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of Yahweh, the world by wisdom knew not Yahweh. It pleased Yahweh by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Judeans require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Judeans a stumbling block, and unto Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Judeans and Greeks, Christ, the power of Yahweh, and the wisdom of Yahweh. Because the foolishness of Yahweh is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the same thing that we see in verse 18, where he says, where's the scribe? Where is the receiver? Where is he that counts the towers? In this particular instance here, the scribe would have been the one who is recording the tribute that's being paid. He would be the recorder. What is the, uh, or he would be, um, uh, say, the accountant. Where's the receiver? The one who goes in and takes it. And that he that counts the towers, that would have been administrators that would have been in Shennacherib's army in order to exact the tribute that was being demanded. And that would have been the tribute that he would have demanded had he came fully against Jerusalem, but Yahweh stayed his hand. So that's what those phrases there mean. And it, as I say, I think it brings us to the same kind of an understanding of that new covenant because the new covenant has no adversity with the old covenant. In fact, over and over again, God shows us religious forms and symbolism are consistently at odds with the righteousness that are is being conveyed here and was god possibly through isaiah showing us again the prayer of a righteous man that avails much because hezekiah's prayer for yahweh to hear the blasphemy of the unrighteous against him was heard and sometimes I think that's where we fail in our prayer is, is we want, we want what we want. We want our situation to be better. We want our predicament to be changed. But in this case here, Hezekiah wanted that too. But he wanted God to see the blasphemy and to hear the blasphemy. And because of that understanding and wisdom that hezekiah had in regards to that his prayer really reached the years of yahweh and he was ready to rise and as i say i believe this passage definitely applies to hezekiah and I know that there are those that say well this is an application to the king being the king, the Messiah. And <clears throat> clearly, it can be evidence of both. 
but I believe more so what's happening in the context of the scripture has to do with Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the righteous man. He was putting forth the reforms. Scripture says there was none before him and none after him that was like him. And um, as to the king and the territory, you know, as I say, thought a lot about that. That's why I have this this perception and belief that this deals with Christ, the Messiah also, because that is a territory and land that is immense and far reaching when you um, consider all that he moved Jacob Israel into, all the lands that he provided for Jacob Israel and where righteousness was dwelling in it predominantly for these last, you know, several centuries. Um, and so that, that I guess is still something that we have to perhaps wait to know more. Um, but most definitely, um, he heard Hezekiah's prayer. And we want to be that man of Isaiah 33, 15. And then pray righteous prayers. Uh, let's continue now with verse 20 through 24 of Isaiah 33. Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereon shall ever be moved. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken, but there is a glorious Lord. <clears throat> but there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall the gallant sheep, ship pass thereby. For the Yahweh is our judge, Yahweh is our lawgiver, Yahweh is our king, he will save us. Thy tacklings are loosed, they could not well strengthen their mast, they could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame takes the prey. And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. <clears throat> uh, here again, I think Isaiah envisions the blessed peace and the righteousness that comes to a land and its people. When blessed righteousness of our lawgiver our judge and our king are preeminent in the land and the people profess it and live it not through a document made by their hands not from a king that they've you know nominated or anything else or appointed and I think another thing that's so illustrative is he's profoundly faithful to his confidence that Yahweh will spare Jerusalem. He calls it the city of our solemnities, a tabernacle that would not be taken down. But you've got to imagine that even Isaiah scarcely could anticipate Jerusalem's further apostasy and ultimate destruction 
several hundred years later in 70 AD. Although he confidently acknowledges only Yahweh. Him only is our judge, lawgiver, and king. And he only that can save. And therefore, it leaves those who remain, that remnant, to say, we are no more sick. He's forgiven our iniquity. And that's what we're going to be able to feel as well when he relieves the iniquity and forgives the iniquity of us and our fathers. Shnacherib was turned away not by Judah's righteousness, but that Yahweh's name would be magnified among the nations. Pretty, pretty informative. Chapter 34. Come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people. Let the earth hear and all that's therein, the world and all the things come forth of it. For the indignation of Yahweh is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falls off from the vine, as falling fig from the fig tree. Well, here in chapter 34, chapter 34 and 35 comprise basically the whole of the judgment that's being pronounced. And... It's being pronounced against Jacob, Israel, and their enemies. Also, um, God's enemies by extension. And in verse 5, For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment. Now, once again, here we are, the whole intention of that first verse in chapter 34 is so profound, yet how little do we even consider it or contemplate it? Come near, you nations, to hear. That instruction, come near to hear, it's not to be considered lightly. And more than once, that biblical record that we have here provides us the evidence of God's dealing with the humanity of his creation in this very similar apocalyptic language. Come near to hear you nations. It isn't one nation or Judah specifically as Isaiah's general subject is here, obviously, as being the prophet to Judah. But Yahweh wants the earth to hear and all that therein is. 
This indignation is on all nations and their armies, it says. And again, the apocalyptic language is intentional. It's for the purpose of penetrating the depths of their arrogance, their presumptuous proclivities, and their unrighteous oppressions throughout the whole of the earth. Yahweh's already delivered his declaration of causes. And now he declares what his army intends to leave in its wake. His war is righteous altogether. And the success of his war has unprecedented ramifications that the whole of the earth should hear. They should come near and listen. It is going to be so complete, it's going to be as leaves falling off the tree or a fig fallen from the fig tree. It's the season of Yahweh's judgment. And we've reviewed this apocalyptic language and the heavens dissolved and rolled together as a scroll in the series we did on the bird's eye view of Revelation. And it's the same language used by Christ in Matthew 24, which we went over then, 2 Peter 3.10, Ezekiel 32, Joel 2 and 3. So I don't think we need to take a lot of time with that language again here. The intention of the prophet, the prophet says, is that God's sword is bathed in heaven. And this is a world cataclysmic event. Continuing, I'll do five again. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea, a land upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of Yahweh is filled with blood. It's made fat with fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For Yahweh has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and the land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. For it is the day of Yahweh's vengeance, and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Let's begin at verse 8. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. 
And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This is the Apostle Paul reiterating to the Christians in Rome, to the believers in Rome, to those who would come to hear the gospel of the kingdom about this promise and who it was that was in the promise and that Esau was not of the seed of promise. Turn with me to Malachi 1.5. That's a little tight one there at the end that we always can't find. Malachi, well, let's just read 1 through 5. The burden of the word of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says Yahweh, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says Yahweh, yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste to the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom says, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down and they shall call them the border of wickedness. And the people against whom Yahweh has indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say. Yahweh will be magnified from the border of Israel. End quote. Esau, Edom, out of the land of Idumea. Idumea is simply the Greek form of Edom. Has no real reason to be put into the Greek form here at all, but it was. And this is precisely who God directs the listening nations toward. Toward understanding about Idumea. These are those who have repeatedly been a bane to Jacob Israel's existence. In our study, Israel, Judah, and Jew, about 135 in the archives, um, and again in bird's eye view of Revelation and certainly others, these are those Idumeans who were of Abraham, but as Paul conveys, are not of the promised seed. Like as his hatred of Esau, 
and the curse he pronounced Yahweh placed upon them is this sword wielded in judgment. And that's the frame of reference, if you will, that he's giving by the prophet. And verse 4 of Malachi conveys that that prophecy of a sacrifice. Did I read Malachi far enough to 4? Yeah, I did. All right. So this in um, verse six of chapter 34, this reference to Basra conveys it as a prophecy of a sacrifice in Basra in the land of Idumea or the land of Edom. And that's his year of recompense. But this Basra was something that I wanted to reacclimate myself with. Isn't it interesting that the the name Basra means inaccessible? And I thought about today's modern Jews and how they're inaccessible. You can't be amongst them but everybody else can be amongst you even though we as true biblical israel were to be separated from the other nations these from basra make themselves inaccessible to other nations and that's the first thing that went through my mind as I read about this. Now, Basra is the ancient um, uh, ancestral home of Jobab, who was Edom's king, even before Israel asked for themselves a king. You can find that at Genesis 36, 33. And the city often served as Edom's capital. A specialty of commerce was woolen garments. And we're going to fast forward in time at some point in Isaiah and be at Isaiah chapter 63. But there is where Yahweh is going to be portrayed as returning with blood dyed garments as the evidence of his victories in judgment. And so this Basra was a an interesting place. It it even uh, was as the capital of of Edom from time to time. I, I it's my understanding, I guess, that it didn't actually um, wasn't actually referenced as the capital, but it was perceived as the capital uh, in different times of history. And these are those enemies of Jacob Israel that are brothers in the flesh. And yet in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, Esau vowed to kill Jacob. And the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 plus years 
yet when Israel was delivered out of Egypt and the first opportunity that Esau had to show favor at least Esau's descendants had that opportunity to assist them in giving them passage through the land they turned them away I want you to think about that because you don't think that that murderous intention of Genesis 27:41 passed on to the seceding generations? You better believe it did. Not only did it, it is alive and well in your Western nations today. Remember the Alamo. Yeah. Yeah. And Americans, Europeans, I don't know if Europe is completely, totally lost to any ability to come to the knowledge because there's a lot of people there. In fact, I wanted to share with you guys sometimes. Um, um i don't think i can look at it now um we are receiving um um i guess archive downloads from uh, i've i've had ireland in there just this last week we have had um um both ireland and um oh i'm trying to think of it what's the one with the z for crying out loud i can't think of it um anyhow so we're getting some uh, i'm sorry go ahead zimbabwe no no no, no. new zealand <laughs> new zealand why why couldn't i think of that new zealand um have 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 been accessing the archives so um there's and we know they're out there i know there's a guy that does a really great work I, i've seen some of his videos from from years ago um and um uh he's done a um in fact melissa would know it right off the top of her mind too he did a lot of videos but um anyhow uh he's he's over there in the uk and so i we know they're out there we know there's a remnant and we know that they're you know they're far advanced already in the inundating of their land with foreign invaders and uh, america is is fast on the heels here because they've got their puppets in for the last uh, 12 uh, years essentially with one break with trump perhaps but anyhow just to quickly um uh yeah i did read that in the chat um you know, doug it's interesting that you brought that up last night i was watching a documentary on ireland and ian paisley kept referring to the catholics as romans the roman invaders uh still at work in Northern Ireland yeah. in that country. 
that was yeah. what in 70, 75, 76, 70. Yeah. Yeah, it's um well at any rate and here I was at 34 and I, and I want to go ahead uh, we got 5 minutes here um 34 9 through 14 really there's only a couple of references here because it's very simple in terms of what is being conveyed here and there isn't much that needs to be added to it um, and the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch the dust thereof into brimstone the land thereof shall be burning pitch it shall not be quenched night or day. Smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the cormorant, the bittern, shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. That line of confusion there, same thing that we find in... Um, uh, different parts of the scripture. I'm trying to remember right now where that line reference was. Uh, see if I. Uh, have a footnote to that shall stretch the line. And. Uh, okay, yeah, the second Kings tw chapter 21. So just a couple verses or a couple chapters later than Second Kings 19, where we were, Second Kings 21, that's where that's also referenced. And um, uh, uh, let's see, where was a uh, line of confusion? They shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and her princes shall be nothing. Thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses, Thereof, and it shall be an habitation of dragons and court for owls. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow. The screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. Verse uh, 13 there, the reference to thorns coming up in the palaces, habitation of dragons. That's right there in our Hosea series, Hosea chapter uh, 9, um, a reference there from, from, from that part there. And again, remember he said of Idumea, of Edom, he said, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And that parched land over there laid waste for the longest time and um you know still areas of baghdad and all of that uh you know areas west of there and, and so forth those are dry barren lands of those lands there that um god said he was going to bring the desolation on and so that's pretty much 33 and 34 and I think we'll be ready to pick up at chapter 35 then next week with part 22 of Isaiah, prophet. Isaiah, conscience of Yahweh. And as I say, I liken this to viewing it as his very conscience. It's his, his revealing to us what's going on in his mind, what he's thinking, how he's perceiving the things of the creation and his created.
So we'll close this evening. And um, uh, I, again, um, I did read um, a chat from uh, Joe, who's been apparently joining uh, through the archives, wanted to let us know. He said he's got on some limited Wi-Fi, so he is not joining live. And, and that's another thing that I recognize that a lot of people aren't doing uh, the live oftentimes. And so I don't get discouraged about that because it's not about me anyway. It's about Yahweh's uh, divine truth and, and his divine will being conveyed. And those that are seekers and knockers, they'll find it. And God will see to it that a path is provided. And that doesn't mean that it goes by osmosis because brother james uh he's created a bit shoot channel himself he's he puts things into the archives um you know matthew with uh um, christian american mysteries um he also is is continuing to do work to to inform others of our israelite identity and um melissa put together her own little channel so that she could also try to expand expand the reach so to speak um i've been dropping these into gab periodically so that they would also um potentially be seen by those that are are looking uh in the social media platform of gab and you know so that that's the intention is where to warn where to speak where to share where to enjoying those uh to this truth and um anytime we get shed light we want to share that light and present it um if there's any ability to do so uh through these types of electronic mediums we're trying to do it and so just want to you know give all praise glory and honor to our king of kings for those that are edified by it and are brought to those messages and these truths so heavenly father we will close in prayer thanking you father let us pray as hezekiah prayed father we we want nothing more than for you to hear the blasphemous words. In fact, Father, you know, I posted something the other day of one of these blasphemers and said, you go ahead and rail, you blasphemer, because he who sits in the heavens laughs. And how thankful we are that you will laugh. And yes, it may not be pleasant for a time. It may not be pleasant for a season. And we may not understand why we don't see your action. And it could be for our own chastisement, and we recognize that. And so, Father, for our sins, we ask for forgiveness. And, Father, for the blasphemers who blaspheme your name and say that you are not the God of Jacob Israel and that you are nothing, we say bring that destruction upon them. We love to see it, and we'll give praise and glory to you and honor for that which you do. Father, we would enjoy seeing your name be hallowed throughout the lands as 185,000 or 185 tens of thousands are laid waste for your name's sake. So Father, thank you so much for all that you do in sharing your truths with us through your written record. 
thank you, Father, for these message archives and wherever they may go to be a blessing and an advocation to those that hear them. Amen. And with that, I will say good night, all.